Hi, it's Michelle. Thank you for joining me for this segment of the Holy Spirit You Channel podcast called Daily Bread with Jam. And we are going to start a conversation in line with pivoting from blessing to cursing that is going to be very interesting. Based on what I know right now, it's just going to be very interesting because the whole principle of the pivot is that we align ourselves with certain spiritual principles that the Lord has already established. You don't have to believe in gravity. That doesn't mean gravity uh, doesn't exist. So you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to believe in his principles, but that doesn't mean they already exist. And so for, for or, in order for us to walk in victory, in order for us to walk in abundant life, in order for us to break, quote, unquote, generational curses that we like to call them, the spiritual genealogy that is that we inherit, and or the harvests that we have sown the seed for, we have to understand the spiritual principles and then co-labor with God through humility and repentance to allow him to live his life through us in order to bless all the families of the earth. To that point, that means breaking and breaking down some of the poor-minded mindsets that we have. I don't like the word mindset. That's just me. I call it a paradigmatic shift. So we have paradigms. We have filters. We have all kinds of things through which we see life through. We view life through. But the lens that we should always be using and what we have to learn to do is look through the lens of the Lord. So today, we're going to start a series within a series. So we're pivoting out of blessing into this, I mean, pivoting scratch that, pivoting out of cursing into the season we are now in, which is a season of blessing. Pivoting. And the word the Lord gave me today to to talk about, oh my gosh, is the Boaz syndrome. The Boaz syndrome. So I'm going to get right into this because to be honest with you, I don't even know where we're going with this. But you know what? I'm going to do what the Lord is, is is urging and compelling me to do by the power of his spirit. So I'm going to read, and I, and I know the basis for this. We're getting right into, right now, the Boaz syndrome, pivoting from cursing into blessing. And I just got this today, so I'm, I, I, and he won't let me sit with it. So we're going to get it off. We're going to get it off, off, off of my chest, and I'm going to make sure that I did in doing what I'm supposed to do as it relates to this, because there are certain things, and this is a perfect example of it. There are certain things we like to lay, lay claim to, the Boaz syndrome, pivoting out of blessing into cursing, out of cursing into blessing, the Boaz syndrome. I just can't stop saying that. Anyway, because <laughs> I don't know what's about to happen. But anyway, there are certain things that we are tied to, certain beliefs, certain religious things that we attach ourselves to without understanding really the weight and the, and the significance, the weightiness of what we're asking for. But I will say this. I'm going to tell you two things. Boaz wasn't looking for a wife necessarily. <laughs> and Ruth wasn't necessarily looking for a husband. This is how the Lord works. For those who are single, who are waiting, whatever your situation status is, 
Understand that you can't just lay claim to Boaz. So we're going to start reading. Because the relationship is the basis of everything in life. We treat each other like dirt. I mean, literally, inside, regardless of the type of relationship, we just treat each other. We don't understand our adjacency as humans. That's why the Lord says neighbors. We want to look down the street. That's not that. Yes, that's logistically, physically your neighbor. But we are human adjacent in our humanity. He's talking about all the people that you live here on earth with. That's your neighbor. And we treat each other like dirt. We didn't give each other life, but we want to, we want to threaten life. We want to. Right? That's not a, that we have to understand that God is paying attention to all of this. And we think we can make statements about other things and other people and do different things because they're not us or they're not who we approve of when the fact of the matter is that everybody that is here is here to test who we are individually. So I am being tested. You are being tested. Everything after a certain point is a test. Pivoting out of cursing into blessing, the Boaz syndrome. Let me start reading. So I'm in Ruth, of course. I'm not going to read all of Ruth, but we're going to get started because we, we like to look at outcomes. Ruth found her Boaz. I want my Boaz. Okay, it doesn't, didn't work like that. That's not how it started. That might have been how it ended, but that was not how it started. Now, it came to pass, Ruth 1.1, 1, 1. now it came to pass, I'm in the King James, as I generally am. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. No food, famine. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, the house, the house Bethlehem, Beit, uh, or B-E-T-H, uh, Bethlehem, house of bread and praise, that's what Bethlehem, Judah is, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife. Now, I'm not going to take the time to break down the meanings of all these words, but what I encourage you to do, don't get stuck there. But what I encourage you to do is look up the meanings of the words that you do not understand or that you don't know the, um, if, if they were translated, what am I trying to say? Look up the words that you don't understand the origins of. Find out why those words are put in those places, the etymology of the word. So it says he left, there was a famine in the land. So he left the house of bread and praise and went to the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech. Look up his name, what it means. And the name of the wife, Naomi, and look up all of them. I'm not going to try to read all of that right now. That is significant. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The one, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there, Moab, 10 years, about 10 years. Verse 5. And Malin and Chilion died, also both of them. So now we have Naomi's husband is passed. Orpah's husband has passed, and Ruth's husband has passed. So all of the women are left uh, to look after the sons, or the sons. The women are left of the sons and the father, I should say. 
Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from Moab, for she had heard while she was in Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread, house of bread, Bethlehem. So whatever famine was taking place in the house of bread, the Lord visited his people and gave them bread at the house of bread. That's another segment. So from that place, she went out in the King James, wherefore she went forth. Basically, from there, she went forth or went out, went back to the place where she was. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah, Bethlehem Judah, house of bread and in the land of praise. All significant. Now, in the scheme of things, Naomi is saying, look, you came from this people in Moab. I'm from this people. So basically, she's giving them the opportunity at, at, at that point because everybody's husbands have now passed on. She's saying, you don't have to stick with me. You don't have to. You can go back to your people. Um, you can do what you need to do, but I, I'm headed back. Go and return each to her mother's house. So some of this has to do with custom of the day. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead. You were good to my sons and with me. You were good to me. You've been good family members, regardless of our different cultures and heritages. You were good to my sons. You were good to me. That's a beautiful statement right there, because two very different cultures. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, surely we will return. Now, this is, this is the story, and I need everybody to pay attention. This isn't about the, just about the women. There are a lot of lessons here in terms of obedience and loyalty and faithfulness, willingness, hopefulness. There are stories of despair here. This isn't just about I'm going to get my Boaz because that's not the story here. The story is about obedience. The story is about loyalty. The story is about faithfulness. And it's not just about the story. This story is not just about men. So you see how, I mean women. So you see how we take things and use them to our advantage. (laughs) And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. Loyalty. And Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Basically, she's saying, I'm not going to read it in the King James. I'm reading from the King James. But I'm just going to paraphrase and break it down. She said, I don't have any more sons. I don't don't have any more sons to give you. You, There's nobody else for me to give you that you can marry. So why would you follow me? There's nothing I can do for you. So at this point, we begin to hear Naomi's bitterness come out. Um, but also in that, she didn't want her daughters-in-law. So there's a lot of, also a lot of love going on in this situation. 
because she recognizes, she's very self-aware, at least at this point, she's very self-aware and she recognizes her own state, her own condition. And she's made the decision consciously to return to Bethlehem. At the same time, she recognizes that these uh, Orpah and Ruth are still, I guess, relatively young women. They still have life in them. Uh, So she's saying, look, I'm going back over here and I'm just going to sit in my despair. You go and live your life and be okay with that because you've been good to us. And so here's – She's she's putting them in a situation where that the, where they can pivot from her perspective, where they can pivot out of cursing into blessing, because she doesn't see herself, so she feels herself in a cursed place, and we hear that a little bit later. She feels like she's in a cursed place personally, and she doesn't want to subject them to that, and she wants them to her her daughters-in-law them. She wants them to have the opportunity to live their lives in their own land, with their own culture, with their own people. She loves them, and it is her love for them that is inspiring her and compelling her to say these things. Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should stay, I have a hope. If I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them? So she's, this is rhetorical, and it's, she's being funny. She's saying, even if I had, if got married tonight and could have children in the near future, would you, are you at a place in your life where you're willing to wait for all of that? So she's trying to make the point. Would you stay for them? Would you stay for them from having husbands? No, my daughters. It would grieve me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So you hear and I know we've been here. I know y'all have been here. I know I've been here. Jesus even was there. My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? She says, uh, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out from against, against me. Don't tell me you haven't felt that. We've all had our moments, some of us seasons, where that's how it feels. So, She's releasing them in love, despite her grief, despite her anger, her despair. She's saying, I don't, have, there's nothing, I don't even have the Lord anymore. She's saying, I don't even have him. He's fighting against me. So are you, after, after everything we've been through, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your love, for your faithfulness, for your willingness. But if the Lord has left me, I don't, I, I don't want to subject you to that or subject you to that. So let's go down. Now we, now we get to loyalty. So now that's the setup. They left the house of bread in, in, in the house of bread in the land of praise, and they went into Moab. They continued there, but over the course of their lives there, all three women lost their husbands. Naomi lost hers, Ruth lost hers, and Orpah lost hers. In the meantime, God visits the place they left to restore and to bring back, right? There was a famine in the land. The Lord shows up and delivers bread to the house of bread in the land of praise. So Ruth hears this and she says, I'm going back. Not necessarily for food. I don't believe that. I don't know it. 
excuse me, not necessarily for food. Food was, I'm sure, a part of it, but the piece is that she heard that the Lord returned. And so she just said, the Lord has gone out against me. <clears throat> excuse me, let me grab some water. There's a little tickle trying to interrupt. So this is the setup for what we call, I'm going to get my Boaz. So in the process, after all of this that Naomi goes through to try to convince her, their da- her, her daughters-in-law that their lives at this point are really in the land that they came from, they're, they're with their people, uh, with, with their culture, that that's where they need to be. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, a sign of departure. There are different types of kisses, as you know, throughout the Bible. Different types of kisses, representing different types of things. Um, Judas kissed Jesus in an, in an act of betrayal. Don't let your kisses be those of betrayal. Um, so there are different types of kisses. So Orpah is kissed her mother-in-law to say goodbye. The, the, the type of kiss she gave her was clearly, I love you, but I'm leaving. I'm going to do what you have instructed me to do. I'm, I see what you're saying. I believe that my life is with my people. Doesn't mean she didn't love her. It doesn't mean that she, it doesn't mean she hadn't loved her because that all of that, Naomi out of her own mouth said, you've been good to my, my sons and to me. So clearly there was no, despite, and I need to say this because this is important for where we are. We are cursed today because of this thing. We think that difference means bad. Difference means we're being tested. That may be another segment, but at any rate, or believes, but Ruth clave to her, held on tight, wouldn't let her go. Think of a child when, when as a child is growing up and they begin to have to be apart from their parent, parents or guardians and that separation anxiety kicks in. Now, I'm in no way saying that Ruth clave or held on to or wanted to stay with Naomi because she was having separation anxiety. I believe it was far from that. I believe she loved her so much and because she had taken on so much of who her mother-in-law and her husband were that she no longer wanted to be where she was. Not that that's bad. We all outgrow things. But there was a different connection, a different level of connection. So Ruth does not want to return. This was never about Ruth going to get her Boaz or find her Boaz. So we need to stop saying that. Like I always say, read the whole Bible. You can't just pick the parts you like. You can, but it's not going to turn out the way you think. And she said, Naomi says to her, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return you also after your sister-in-law. And Ruth said, please don't ask me to leave you. If you read the King James, it's not what it's going to say. I'm just 
I'm breaking it down a little bit so we don't get stuck and trip over the words, okay? But I do encourage you to read the King James. Read what you can read, but understand some of it is not as complicated as we think it is. It's, it's very easy to read once you get used to it. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee. That's the King James. Basically, she's saying, please stop telling me to leave. I'm not going anywhere. It's what we would call, I guess, in today's terminology and colloquialisms, uh, ride or die. Ruth, so Ruth is Naomi's ride or die, even though <laughs> Naomi doesn't want, doesn't want to ride or die at this point. Naomi really is in a place of grief. She's grieving. She's grieving the loss of multiple things. She's lost her husband and her sons. She's grieving the loss of God. She feels like the Lord is against her. Now, the, don't get me wrong. The Lord will set himself against us. Sometimes we fighting each other is really God, and we think it's a, per, we think it's a human. It's really God intervening. Another segment. But anyway, so we understand now that, that Ruth is saying, if you go to Moab, I'm going back to Moab with you. If you're going to Bethlehem in the land of Judah, house of bread in the land of praise, if you are going that way, that's where I'm going. So her loyalty, whatever connection has been established, natural and supernatural, supernatural and natural were spirit first. So there was a supernatural connection. That Ruth is saying, I know I'm supposed to be with you. We're family. We're part, we're part of each other. It's not that Oprah was any less family. There's a divine and ordained connection between Naomi and Ruth that Ruth understood and was, was not willing to sacrifice, so to speak, whereas Naomi in her despair was in her despair but also in her love for her daughters-in-law. She was willing to let them go because she did not want them to be a part of what she considered to be a dark period in her life. So here's one of the most beautiful things that I think we miss. Ruth 116. Don't ask me to leave you or, or, or to return from following after you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be, it, it chokes me up every time I read this, your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. In verse uh, one, uh, the verse above it, Naomi says, return unto your gods. And she says, no, that's not, how, that's not quite how, how this is going to go. Your God will be my God. Where you die, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if aught but death part thee and me. Now, where have you heard that before? Where have you heard that before? This is the marriage vow, but not in the way we might think of it in today's language. This is part of covenant language. This is part of the, part of the marriage vow. She is already committed in marriage, as a result of being her daughter-in-law, married to her son, who is now passed on, 
She is in covenant, and she still sees herself in covenant, despite the fact that the person who brought her into the family is now passed away. So now the natural situation is different, but in Ruth's mind, and we say this all the time, but we don't do it. We, we don't do it or we do it badly. When you marry the person, you marry the family. On either side, it doesn't matter. That's why I said this is not just about women. I mean, we, we, we've, we've made uh, jargon of the term, um, I'm going to find my Boaz, where's my Boaz, or whatever. We've made that to be jargon, but that is actually making light of the situation and the, the nature of understanding the covenant that is present here even before either of them ever consider a husband. Now, they've talked about it, but they talked about it only in from Naomi being uh, not wanting her daughters to experience loss. Now, they've lost their husband on their own, but Naomi has lost a husband and two sons. And so she doesn't want the depth of their grief. And this is... I, this to me is, is, is what I see and what I believe Holy Spirit has shown me. She doesn't want her level of grief to keep them from continuing to live if they are actually moving out of their grieving process. But what Ruth is demonstrating here is that when she married the son, she married the whole family. So now that the son is gone, that covenant carries then in terms of the commitment to her taking care of taking care of and looking after her mother-in-law that's the supernatural connection that exists so we see now when she saw she Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded meaning strong-willed <laughs> right she wasn't going anywhere she was committed she was loyal this is where loyalty comes in. Naomi, you're my family. Right? You're my family. We're family now. I don't care whether my is my husband. I have who's gonna take care of you if I go back? You're sending me to my people, but you don't have anybody else. All of these things. And she says, Nope, we're family. I'm loyal to you. When I entered into that marriage covenant with my husband, I entered also into a covenant with you as my mother-in-law. And that covenant language, we see it right here. Where you die, I will die, and there will I also be buried. Lord, do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death part thee and me. Right? So, I'm now in, where are we? We go and we talk about now moving through. They went to Bethlehem, verse 19. They got back to Bethlehem. And she said, okay, so before she's trans, she's, she's conveying bitterness. She's conveying anger. She's conveying pain. She's telegraphing it. She hasn't said it yet. The Lord is against me. I don't have anything to offer you. And many of us have been through seasons, days, months, years like this. What good am I? Why would you care to follow me? I don't have anything for you. If you're looking for something, don't come over here. 
right? So she comes into the town, and people recognize her. She comes back into Bethlehem, and the city, it says, all the city moved about them. She was recognized, which means she had a place in that community. And she said unto them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Almighty hath hath dealt bitterly with me. I wanted to say it that way. Now, let let me say something. Let me stop right here for a second. I need you all, if you are anyone of anyone listening, if you are in a place of bitterness with the Lord because you felt like the Lord has dealt bitterly with you, I've been there. Don't, I'm, I'm just telling you right now. I've been there. So this is, a, this is a challenge. Do me a favor and don't do the religious thing. Don't say, people say, well, you can't question God. No, I don't question God, but I do have questions for him. And I also, when I have those questions, I also say, Lord, I know you don't have to answer me. I'm just putting it out there because you already know my heart. You already know my thoughts. That level of honesty in and of itself is liberating. The first time I started doing that, and I'm sidetracking just for a moment, but I haven't forgotten where I'm going. The first time I started doing that was shortly after I had finished chemo. I was still having, I had side effects from the chemo that I had to recover from. There was all kinds of things going on. And so I was ticked. I was upset. Lord, really? I've been trying to live right. I've been trying to do what you told me. I'm taking care of my family, holding down a full-time job, all of these things. I had all of these reasons why these things, in my mind, shouldn't have happened to me. So I, one of the things, aside from him telling me that, Michelle, you can be on the throne or I can be on the throne, but I'm not going to fight you for. Aside from him telling me <clears throat> that you can't hide anything from me when I was in a period of depression, you can't hide anything from me, you might as well just tell me because I already know. That's what I'm saying to you. We walk around like God is not who we say he is. We, we don't, do we believe, do you believe that God is God? If you do, then it demands that your behavior toward him and toward others, your neighbors, looks like you believe. You cannot, and I'm not saying it's instantaneous, hear what I'm saying. You cannot claim to love God and you're walking around hating on every single person you see, whether it's actual uh, through your soul, how you think about them, how you look down your nose at them, how you ignore them, you won't acknowledge them, or how you actually literally treat them. How we treat each other represents how we feel about God. Why don't we understand that yet? He said the two greatest, the two greatest commandments, He's not, and when he says the two greatest, he's not even separating them. There's an and there, not an or. I can't love God or my neighbor. He, <laughs> the word of the Lord is, hear ye, the Lord our God is one, Father, Son, Spirit, the Godhead, different functions, same being. Same person. 
So you cannot ignore me, ignore each other, treat people badly, and then say, oh, but I love God. That's why people are leaving the church. That's why nobody wants Jesus. We're supposed to be winning them, not losing them. So the, the, the least we can do, God says, he tells us in his word, he says, I would rather you be hot or cold. But if you're lukewarm, I'm spitting you out. Literally going to vomit you up. Why? Because you've got to believe in something. He's not even saying you have to believe in him. He says, be one or the other, please. We want to look like we love God, but we don't actually love him. How do I know that? Because of how you treat people, how we talk to each other, how we think about each other. Jesus says, you're looking on the outside. I'm looking at what you're thinking. So do us all a favor. And I say us because, yes, it's an individual endeavor to a certain extent, but we're having common experiences. You're not accountable to me. Not in that way. You don't have to come tell me anything. But if we're on this journey, not if, since we're on this journey of faith, faith walk is not a cakewalk, then at least be honest with the Lord. If you're mad with him, tell him you're angry. Lord, I, I, I know I'm going to have to repent, but I'm angry. I know you already know that, so I'm not even going to mince words. I'm bitter. I'm hurt. I don't want to be backslidden anymore. I want to believe. But I'm, one thing I'm not going to do is act like you don't know. One thing I'm not going to do is act like you're not in this room with me right now. One thing I'm not going to do is act like you're not all-powerful. All so we see here the bitterness come out. He has dealt bitterly with me. Did you know you can be in a place where you're not forgiving God? How do I know that? Because you don't forgive people. It's not an or situation. You can't pick the things you want to do. That's not how it works. That's why all of the principles have to be, have to be taken in whole. You might really be good at one and really bad at the other. Guess what? That cancels out because the goal is for us to grow in Christ or to have Christ grow in us. I decrease. You decrease that he would increase. He's not going to fight us for it. He already did what he was supposed to do. So here we have Naomi, who clearly is grieving, who clearly had a relationship with the Lord enough to know and to feel that she is being dealt with bitterly. She's feeling it. She's in pain. She articulates it. And so she says, call me Mara. <laughs> call me Mara. I went out full. That's a whole, that whole I went out full, that's a whole nother segment. So, so what, we could say, why'd you leave if you, if you were getting what you needed? That's a different story. And the Lord had brought me home again empty. Sometimes that happens to us too. We got to get out of here. We got to go somewhere. We got to. And sometimes it's because he said, "Go and I will show," like he did with Abram, Abraham. Sometimes it's just, "I don't want to be here." Right? We have these moments. This is humanity. 
This is the human experience. So we might not be having the same experiences, but we are having, having common experiences. And when we can use those to help other humans, that's what God is looking for in a place and in a time when it helps all of us move forward. To love each other, to love God first, to repent, to humble ourselves, to do all of these things collectively requires that we do them individually. There is not a single person other than you that can go through your process. But guess what? If I have something, if you hear me say something that can help you on your way, then that is what God intended. I can't walk it for you. Nobody can walk your path for you. But the truth, the spirit of truth, the one who leads us and guides us in all truth, he's the helper. He's going to get you down your path. But we need to hear encouragement from other humans. We need to be collectively minded in the sense that we all want to not just please the Lord, but allow him to move through us to bless all the families of the earth. We have to pivot out of this cursing it and bitterness into a season of blessing. Oh, the world is nice. It's things are getting bad. Yes, because we're getting bad. Well, where's God? Waiting on us to repent. That's where he is. Right here, standing next to you. Standing next to me. Waiting. Okay. I'm not going to force you, but I gave you the invite. It's a standing invitation for now. And why do I say that? Because at some point, we're going to transition out of this life. But the spirit and the soul will remain intact. And that is what's going to be held accountable. So when we stand before the Lord, you will get a quote-unquote glorified body. I'm not sure I understand all of that. I understand it, but I don't know if I can explain it yet. But anyway, we, have, we don't even understand basic things. We're spirit, soul, and body. Why, why is that even an issue? Because the spirit and the soul work together. The body just contains them and gives us the envelope or the suit or whatever you want to call it to survive this atmosphere. But it also has a spirit of its own, the spirit of flesh, the spirit of dirt. I like to call it the spirit of dirt, right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. <laughs> we came out of dirt, we're going back to dirt. So it's the spirit of dirt. That's what I call the spirit of the flesh, the carnality, the spirit of dirt. I'm going to wrap this up for now, but we are going to get back to the series within a series, pivoting out of cursing into blessing. And part of that has to do, one, with what are you loyal to? Who are you loyal to? Spirit, soul, and body. Looking the part is not enough for Jesus. You can't fake it till you make it in the kingdom. It is a growth process. And we have to understand how God works. I don't mean we're going to know him intimately, not in the way that we think about intimacy. He says, I just need you to understand that there are certain things that I accept and there are certain things that I don't. However, I also need you to accept that I love you very much and I'm willing, you, I'm willing for you to make your own choices since I created you with the faculty and the capability of making your own choices. But I'm also then going to tell you, I put before you, here's what you got to look at. 
Here's life and here's death. I'm telling you what to do. Choose life. And here's how you choose life. Humble yourself and repent. The spirit of God is he 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 came for all. So when you look at the first chapter of Ruth, what you're seeing is a microcosm of the human experience on some level. Even though it mainly talks about the female, the principles still apply. The fact is that Ruth did not go looking for Boaz. I'll get into that next time. She went because of the covenant she had entered with her husband, also carried over to her mother-in-law, who she now views as family so close she will not leave her. We don't understand that in this day and age because we're driven by the spirit of dirt. God is faithful who promised. And here is a woman, I don't know how old she was at the time, Ruth, who is just trying to do the right thing by her mother-in-law. So for those who are single, particularly women, because that's mostly where this comes from, even though these scriptures are not just for women. Mostly it's the single women who are looking for a Boaz. I'm going to get my Boaz. You need to read the whole thing and make sure you're committed at this level to the Lord first. Because that's what this is about. This is about supernatural relationship, supernatural loyalty. This is about covenant. So we're going to, in the next few segments, continue to examine a few more things around this whole concept and this whole principle. Please stop saying that. Please stop saying you're going to find your Boaz. First of all, it's all out of order, and it's not right. That's not how it happened. So let me read these last couple of verses, and then uh, we'll close it out for, for, for now. I want to go back and read Ruth 121. I went out full, and the Lord brought me home again empty. So why do you still call me Naomi? So go look at the names. Go look at the difference between Naomi and Mara. Seeing the Lord has testified against me. So here she is again, expressing her anger, her frustration, her hurt, her pain, her disappointment, her grief. His hand is against her. He's dealt bitterly with me. He has afflicted her. He has testified against her. So this is, we go through this. We go through these seasons. Or we have, it's part of the process. We think as humans, we can do something to hack the process. So then we interpret that as the Lord afflicting us. I've done it. Don't just, <laughs> I've done it. Naomi returned. And Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. They came 
to Bethlehem, house of bread, at the beginning of barley harvest. And yes, the reason, that's in there for a reason, but we're not going to, to delve into that. The reason it says at the beginning of barley harvest, there's a reason for that. But that's not going to be part of this series or segment that I know of right now. But what I want to say to you is that I love you, that I bless you. I pray for you, excuse me, that you are continuing to look at you. Now, some of this stuff we could get straight if we just start focusing on ourselves. That's a full-time job. In the meantime, I love you. I bless you. Agape. I agape love you. I appreciate you. I bless you. I thank you for spending your time listening to Daily Bread with Jam, a podcast by the Holy Spirit You Channel. I'm Michelle. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.